Let's turn together this morning uh, to the book of Ezra, and I just wanted to look at a, a thought from Ezra that's kind of was Lord's been quickening to me. And we're going to look in Ezra chapter 4 at how they were rebuilding the city, and they were going through some difficult experiences. And they had enemies in Israel, and those enemies were upset that they were rebuilding. All right, they were rebuilding the city and the walls and the gates, and those enemies tried everything they do they could do to stop that from taking place, because uh, they was they were going to lose access to the city, and they didn't want that to to take place. And so first they tried to join the building process. They said, "Let us build with you," and they Israel said, "No, you have no place in that. This is our city. You're not. We're not going to let you say the enemy helped us build the work of the Lord." That's something we want to say in our lives as well. All right, and so they couldn't do it from the inside, so then they tried from the outside. They took it to a new level. They wrote a letter to the king saying, the Jews are trying to rebel against you and so forth. And, and so they, they made all sorts of accusations. We know one of the, the enemy's names is the accuser. And so I wanted to just focus on something that they actually wrote in this letter to the king and it can speak to us. And so let's read together in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 13. And so these are the enemies of the Lord writing to the king. And it says, Be it known unto the king that if this city is built and if the walls are set up again, that they will not pay toll, tribute, or custom, and then they shall damage the revenue of the king. I want us to notice something here. So they were claiming that the Jews were going to build the walls of the city, and they were claiming they would be feel strong enough not to pay tribute to the king anymore. Now, there's a spiritual truth here for us that I want us to see that we have to understand is right when there's natural walls and then there's spiritual walls. There's the spiritual walls that surround us that are our protection from the en- the work of the enemy. And when there's openings in those walls, the enemy can get in. He can get access or so forth. You know, the the enemy allows, or those openings in our walls allow access to the enemy. And that means we come under his power. We come under his power. And when there's holes in the walls, as it says in this, in verse 13, we pay him tribute. And so there's that concept That when the enemy has access to our lives, we open a door to him in our lives, we have to pay him tribute. Now, walls can also speak of salvation and protection in God. You know, Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 2, it says, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for our walls in our bulwarks. Our protection will be in God. He'll surround us like a wall. In verse 2, it says, Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter therein. And so there's this thought that if we are a part of God's righteous nation, those who keep his truth, as it says in verse 4, like that righteous nation that keeps the truth can enter in. We can enter into his walls, his protection, his fortress. You know, David proclaimed that. 
he was just trying to do what was right. He, he tried not to touch Saul to honor him as, as king, and Saul was just trying to pr- pursue him, take his life so David was out in the wilderness. And, you know, when he was in the wilderness, that's when he started calling God his fortress, his protection, my high tower, my shield, the one I'll run into, and no one could get to him. Right? No one could get to him because he had those walls for salvation. Now, the enemy did get to him when a hole opened up in his wall, right? We read that later on, right? David and Bathsheba, that was a big gaping hole in his wall. And the enemy got into his life, his family, his kingdom, and caused all sorts of trouble. But when our walls are sealed, we're walking in the truth, then we're safe. Of course, the, you know, as with David, the, the, the problem comes is when we start to slip up According to the truth, like Jeremiah says, we're not valiant for the truth, Jeremiah 9. But, you know, holes can open up in our walls and lets all sorts of trouble enter in. And the enemy said something interesting to the Jews. Now, this is in Nehemiah, but it kind of, it's a similar concept. Um, You know, they were still building up the walls, and this is in Nehemiah 4 and verse 3. And it says, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and said, Even that which they built, if a fox go up, he'll break down their stone wall. Now he was trying to describe the work that they were doing as pitiful. You know, a fox could push it down. But I think it's very significant that he's talking about foxes going through the wall. Because what do foxes speak to us in scripture? They speak to us of those little foxes of those little foxes that go in and spoil the vine. Things that, that we can enter in, allow into our lives, and they spoil the work of the Holy Spirit. They spoil the work of God in our lives, as it says in Song of Solomon chapter 2. And so all it takes is, is some variance from the truth, something we open our heart, you know, that, that's not of God. You know, and there could be, it could be lots of things. It can be just a little bad attitude. Have you ever had a bad attitude and it kind of snowballed and... All of a sudden, it's a really bad attitude or, you know, it causes trouble in, in relationships and so forth. Or it could be a wrong outlook, just a wrong concept. I, this person's thinking this thing, these terrible thoughts of me, and I, I feel so terrible about it. And then come to think out, they weren't thinking anything of the sort. But it, when you allow that to remain, it's like a little opening up something in the wall and a little fox comes in and just starts munching away. And all the good things, the joy, the peace, the hope, the faith, just get all eaten up. So those weaknesses can come in and spoil, or those things can come in and spoil the good work that God's doing in our lives. And so because of those holes that can open up in our, in our walls, you could say, the enemy has allowed entrance and he has a measure of power over our our lives. And as it's described in Ezra, we have to pay tribute to the king of this world because he has power over us. And it's a sad situation when someone is saved and following God and as Israel was trying to rebuild the, the city of Jerusalem, but they had to pay tribute because of the holes in their walls. And so what are we to do about it? How do we overcome in this Well, I wanted to look at another thing we see in Ezra that's a contrast to this. 
that kind of shows us the other side of the matter. And because later on in Ezra, we see him interacting with the king. And it's interesting how these Persian kings, most of the time, they're the type of Satan, right? I mean, they're just the type of the king of this world and so forth. And there's the king proclaiming previously, stop building and, and stopping the work of God and so forth. But now in Ezra chapter 7, he's, we see him a little different. He's actually seen as a type of Christ the king who's going to make a commandment to rebuild the walls. And, but I want us to notice something he says in this proclamation. So let's read Ezra chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. And this is the proclamation of, of the king here. It says, Whosoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? And we certify you that touching any of the priests and Levites, the singers, the porters, all of the ministers of the house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll, tribute, custom upon them. That's interesting. Because before, they were saying, well, when there's holes in the wall, you're paying these things. It's only when the holes are stopped that they were worried, oh, they won't pay to the king. And so, but now here's the king saying, it is not lawful for them to pay tribute to the king or to, to anyone. And so something's changed. Now the proclamation is they are free from paying any sort of tribute, of the enemy having any sort of power over them. But it's because they're doing the work of God. They're following God. They're building up His kingdom in their lives and in the lives of others. And I believe we're seeing this because of a reason, a specific reason why this change took place. And, and, and I think we can see it by examining the namesake of this book in the book of Ezra. Right? In this, and it's in the same chapter we're reading because the king himself gave Ezra this commandment to go and build the city. Well, we're, we're doing battle already against the, the leaf blower. But let's read in Ezra 7 and verse 10. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the Lord to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now, Ezra was set free from paying tribute. As in the, pre, you know, like in the previous example where the king represents the king of this world, instead Ezra's been set free. He's been empowered by the king, here representing the king of righteousness, to build. And what is the reason for that? It's because he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach it to others. And so it is a prepared heart that will set us in the pathway of freedom and strength to do the will of God and to have freedom from any tribute to the enemy, any power that the enemy might have. And so we, we can say, well, what, what do we need to do? How do we walk in this way that Ezra walked in so that we can have a heart prepared, set upon God? Well, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
And we can look at what can be seen as the first step to have a, a heart prepared for the Lord. So 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. Verse 21, And if a man will purge himself from these, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And so Paul's bringing out an aspect of our calling. We are all called to be vessels unto God. Vessels in the house of our God to be used by him. And, you know, I think we can all understand this concept, you know, in a nice house, you can think of a palace or something. You have these beautiful vessels of gold and silver, you know, they have the, you know, golden or silverware or, or something, depending on who, who's, who they're having dinner with, what level they are, they're at, you know, there'd be vessels of honor to drink from, to eat from, or maybe beautiful vessels to hold flowers, vessels of honor. But then you can have vessels to hold the trash, put the scraps of food in, you know, and, and so forth. The unclean things of the master's house or, or the things that would become unclean, the, the, the refuse or something. And, you know, every house has to deal with those types of things. And, and so what Paul is asking us is what kind of vessel do we want to be? What kind of vessel do we want to experience? Lord, I want to be a vessel for you. Then he says, okay, here, hold my trash. Oh, that wasn't what I was thinking of, Lord. Instead, we want to be vessels that can hold the good things of his house, his beauty, display his beauty. And maybe we can be vessels that hold some nice meat in his house, right? The, the, the meat of his word and others can, can feed from that or the bread of life or maybe his wine, his joy can be poured out to others. That's what I love about Nehemiah. He was the cupbearer of wine to the king. When the king was thirsty, Nehemiah was there, ready with a drink. You know, and it kind of speaks about how he was the cupbearer of the king. He was giving the king joy. And in the spirit, we can be cupbearers of the king of kings, ready to give people joy, to give them peace, to give them hope faith, assurance, and so forth, all of the good things, we can be vessels that can pour out those things on others. But what's the key? Well, it's back in verse 21 of, of 2 Timothy 2 and 21. It says, if a man purge himself from these, if he purge himself from these, meaning the unclean vessel, the things or the characteristics of an unclean vessel, and it's the idea that we recognize that some things in our lives need to be cleansed. Right? That they'll keep us, because they'll keep us from being a vessel of honor. A vessel that's fit for his use, that can display his beauty. And, you know, we mentioned that sometimes it could be like an unclean attitude or a weakness in our lives or, or so forth. Or, or even something we inherited from our parents or our grandparents. Thanks, Grandma and Grandpa, for giving me that thing that I'm struggling with today. Or maybe it's just something we've allowed in because of difficult circumstances that we've gone through. But they all have one thing in common of what they do. You know, I was 
appreciated a message at, at this past convention by uh, Pastor Gasway, and he was sharing about things that cause us to become disconnected to God. It's not that we totally stop following God, but there can be a disconnection that takes place from God or maybe from the vision that he has for our life. And so we just get, when we get disconnected from God, it's not that we stop calling him God or, or so forth, but instead of looking to heaven, we get disconnected and we're just looking to earth. And God wants to repair those things so that we're connected to him day by day. But those things that he's trying to cleanse cause us to get, become disconnected or make it very difficult for us to, dis, to connect to God because those things are there to make us unclean. But the cry of God's heart is, come unto me and I'll make you clean. Another verse of Paul in, in Titus, the book of Titus, Epistle of Titus chapter 2, in verse 13 it says, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's the heart of God. His heart is, come unto me, because I want to redeem you from all iniquity. Everything that would separate you from me. I want to redeem that out of your life, purify it so that you can be zealous for my presence, zealous for my ways. That's what he desires to do. And he, you know, sometimes we can, we can struggle with, well, Lord, what about this? What about my sin? What about this thing? Well, God says he can take it and he can cleanse it. And then what does he do with that thing? He casts it into the sea. You know, another thing, and actually it was in another message, is Pastor Paul Karam. You know, sometimes we can get so concerned about our sin, but he kind of illustrated it like this. You can go out into the, into the Pacific Ocean over one of the deepest part of the ocean called Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench. You could drop a quarter down there, and it goes down, I don't know how many miles. Does anyone know how many miles down that is? It's, it's like, yes. Many miles down to the bottom of the ocean, and then you're it's like you're so concerned about that quarter, Lord. What about that quarter? It's gone. I don't know if there's anyone on earth that's going to be able to find that quarter again, but that's what God says He does with our sin. He takes it and He casts it into the sea, and there's no one, not even Satan, can get that quarter back. It's gone, and so we want to come to God. And realize by faith, when we give him our burdens, we, our sins, we roll them onto him, he takes them, and he drops them into that Mariana Trench, and they're gone. And we're clean. Of course, the enemy likes to remind us, but then all we have to do, I'm sorry, no, 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 that's in the sea. You can't, you can't even get to that. You're just bluffing. You, can, you don't know where it is. You can't find it. Because God can redeem us and cleanse us from that. Now, of course, there is a little bit of surrender involved, isn't there? There's that surrender. As God speaks to us, we surrender to the work of his word in our lives. Right? The cleansing takes place as that surrender to his word comes. As Paul says in Ephesians 5 and verse 26, 
the process is he sanctifies and cleanses it. Speaking of his church, he cleanses us with the washing of the water by the word. By the word. So the word comes in and we say, yes, Lord. I'm just believing it by faith. You're going to wash me. You're going to cleanse me. You're going to give me deliverance from this. And I'm going to walk in newness of life. And as we do that, we're washed and made clean, made new. And so we have to have that approach to the Word of God that's so important. You know, back in Ezra, it says something interesting about when he was dealing with the situation of these holes in the walls. Um, it really represented something that was happening in Israel because Israel was not following the commandments of God. They had kind of slipped back into sin and not respecting his commandments. And, and that manifested in that they had allowed their children to intermarry with the, the heathen nations. Even the high priests had allowed his sons to intermarry and their children could spoke like half Hebrew and half the language of the others and, and it was abomination in God's sight. And so Ezra had to come and you know, deal with them and pr- make them promise to make things right and get their lives right and so forth. But, but this is how he dealt with it. The very first thing he did, Ezra 9 and verse 4. It says, Then were assembled unto me every one that trembled at the words of the God of Israel. Yeah, that's who he, he brought for a prayer meeting. To, to say, Lord, how do we fix this? How do we deal with this? It was everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the transgression of those who had been carried away. And so when a work of restoration needs to take place, a work of healing, a work of cleansing, what kind of heart do we have to have? A heart that trembles at his word. That really, it, it's not that we're scared. I mean... Well, it depends on the level of sin. <laughs> if we've been walking, if we've been a bad boy and girl, then maybe, yeah, well, we should literally be trembling, Lord, have mercy. But really, it's, it's speaking of a reverence and respect for God's ways. I have such a reverence, I don't want to miss what he's saying. And if I miss it, then that, that's where the trembling comes. If I'm, if I'm disregarding the word of the Lord and not counting it as important in my life, then we better tremble. But if we tremble beforehand, because I don't want to miss it, that is what sets us in the way of meeting with God, of being changed and transformed. Reminds me of another verse similar to this, Isaiah 66 and verse 2. I'm going to look at the second part of this verse. The first part is kind of speaking of in the context of the prophecy of Israel, but I want to key in on this phrase Isaiah 66, 2 says, But to this man will I look, even to him that is of a poor and a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. Who is the Lord going to look to and meet with and transform and do all of these good things we've been talking about? Those who are poor in themselves, they're not rich in themselves. You know, sometimes God speaks and we're kind of like, well, I'm okay. I've got enough going on. I've got some things that are satisfying. And, you know, when you talk to people in the world and they won't, don't want God, it's because they, they have enough in themselves. They're rich in themselves in that sense. I don't really need what you're saying right now. Maybe later. But when we're poor, we say, Lord, I don't have 
anything that compares to what I need in you and what you can do in me and what I need you to, to do in my life. And that trembles. Lord, I have such a reverence for your word. Would you speak to me? And as you speak, I'm going to lay hold on that word and I'm not going to let go. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to cry out to you till it's fulfilled. Those are the ones who meet with God, who are transformed. It's the thing that keeps us and it draws the heart of God. It's like God's looking to, to who he can show himself strong towards and, and what draws his heart, those who have that, that humble heart and who tremble at his word. He doesn't want to waste his words. You know, does he? He doesn't want to waste it. They're valuable. They're precious. And so he's not going to speak to people. Well, he does. He still does. But in one, in one sense, he's going to speak to those who tremble, who appreciate it, who value it, and who will walk in it. But when God's heart is drawn to us, it does a powerful work. In Psalm 10 and verse 17, here's what God will do in that kind of heart. It says, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble and you will prepare their heart. We were just asking, well, okay, how do we be like Ezra and prepare our hearts? Well, We just have a humble heart towards God and cry out to him. And then it says, Lord, you will prepare their hearts. You will set that person in the right way. You will give them the wisdom and the strength and the grace and everything they need. Well, that's encouraging to me. I don't, I don't like to think that it's all on me and boy, I got to figure stuff out and I got to do this and that. I got to come up with the solution. Well, no, that's actually, it's not right. It's recognizing I have nothing. I can't do it even if I tried. And if, I, if I'm telling myself I can, then I'm lying to myself. Lord, it's only you. And when God hears the desire and the cry of the humble, it says he comes and prepares their heart. He will cause his ear or he, and will cause your ear to hear. God will take care of it. Those who have no more strength in themselves. They've come to that place of surrender. Lord, I'm done trying to do it. Trying to make my own way. Lord, choose for me. Come in and take over my life and have your way. And God says, okay, I'm going to prepare your heart to be a vessel of honor in my house. I'll plug all those holes in your wall. Just make sure you receive every word I'm speaking to you. Tremble at my word and obey my word. And when we allow that to happen... There's a transformation. You know, we can see this in David's life. Um, in Psalm 57, one of the things he proclaimed to God in Psalm 57 and verse 7, he says, Lord, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed on you, and I will sing, I will sing and give praise because he knew God was going to meet him and give him the victory. My heart is fixed. And that word... In the Hebrew, it means to be established, prepared, steadfast. Lord, my heart is established in your ways. And because of that, God could give him the victory in every situation. It's kind of like that thought of a compass. 
you know, if you ever you play around with a compass, I'm sure we've all like held one and like, look, the needle turns. No matter which way we go, the needle always turns north and points us in the right direction. You know, God wants to come in and do a work in us. That no matter what season we're in, no matter what direction we're in, even like sometimes we feel like we're upside down. I don't know. If you turn a neat uh, compass upside down, does it still work? Maybe. It might depend on how how nice the compass is. (laughs) But it doesn't matter. We will always have that work of God in us that points us in his direction, that shows us the way to go when our heart is fixed upon him. He will always show us how to do what's pleasing to him so that we can be a vessel of honor prepared for the master's use. I'll just close with one last thought here. You know, the result of Ezra and Nehemiah kind of, they work together in that sense of, of the rebuilding of the temple and the walls at Jerusalem. And, you know, through them, the, the Lord brought a, a cleansing in the nation and brought the people back to God. There was a national repentance and a fresh consecration to the ways of God. And they were kind of mourning over their sin, like, man, we have messed up as a nation. But they followed God. They responded to the words that Ezra and Nehemiah were preaching, and they repented. And, and so we read this in Nehemiah 8 and verse 10. Here's the fruit of that. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. You know, basically celebrate the feast of the Lord. And, and it says, For this day is holy unto the Lord. Don't be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Oh, that was the fruit of responding to God, of allowing God in to have a full way and work to bring a cleansing and a restoration. They were made vessels of honor once again. And the fruit of that in their life was the joy of the Lord. He, he poured that into their vessel and that joy would be their strength to go on and to follow God. That's the fruit of ordering our lives in his way. The joy becomes our strength. And, and so we see these two contrasts that are happening, not just in the world, but kind of in his church, right? There are many today who are even Christians and they have to pay tribute to the enemy because the enemy has, has come into their lives in some way. There's holes in their walls and the little foxes are coming in and eating up the vine and And so in the sense, they're paying tribute to the king of this world, even though they're Christians and declaring, I'm going to follow God. But yet, when the foxes are in there, the enemy has power over their lives. But the way to to security and strength, provision and protection are found in those who tremble at his word, who love his word and his voice, who humble themselves to receive it and to walk in it and cry out, Lord, come and cleanse me. Lord, show me if there's a, there's a hole in my wall I haven't seen or foxes that are getting in. Lord, help me to plug it so that I can be that. In, any power of the enemy is just cut off. God says, when we come to him in that way, I will visit them and prepare their hearts. He fills in the gaps, brings that cleansing. And like David 
God will cause our heart. I love, I love it when it says that, that God's going to cause me to do something. Lord, cause me to walk in your way. Well, he, his promise is, yes, he'll do that if we come to him and humble ourselves and tremble at his word, the words that he speaks to us. He'll cause our heart to be fixed on him wherever we are in whatever situation we face. As long as we humble our hearts and they're fixed like a compass upon him. His joy will be our strength. He'll cause us to overcome and triumph in whatever situation we're in. And Father, we thank you. Thank you for your joy, Lord, and how you want to make us vessels of honor, fit for your use, to bring you pleasure and glory. Lord, we long to be that beautiful vessel in your house, Lord, that can hold your meat, that can hold and display the beauty, Lord, and the joy of your kingdom. Lord, would you just do that work within us afresh today? We invite you to come and work within us. Oh, make us people who will bring joy to you and to, oh God, your kingdom and to your heart. Oh, we just thank you, Lord. Lord, we just come. Lord, just bring even a fresh cleansing in our lives. Oh, do your work. Let cause our heart to be set in your pathway, we ask. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.